year actually in the post office directory for London, they list the new professions added in that year. Yeah, because it's like, you know, it's, it's the 1890s. It's this huge period of like professional expansion and industrial revolution and stuff. So this is in that year, there are 139 different new professions. So they say such new such new trades as appear to be necessary out of 139 added this year, we may select the following examples. Armoured hose manufacturers, chromotype gravure printers, composing machine makers, forgings, dynamo, genealogical searchers, glass sand merchants, golf ball makers, grain elevators, incandescent lamp makers, names and initial letters for marking linen, pearl and purcell fishers, radiators, rating surveyors, Spiegel eyes and merchants, tattooists. <laughs> right. So there he is in the street directory as the only guy to be a tattooist. And like, good on him, really. You know, and, and he, ta- I think, so I've called him like the first professional tattooer. There was a profession, a full time tattoo artist in the United States called Martin Hildebrandt, who was in the street directory as a part time tattooer as early as the 1850s. And Hildebrandt sort of goes full-time in the 1870s. So America's a bit ahead of Britain. But McDonald really is the guy that kind of establishes, you know, if you want a tattoo and you're not in the army or the navy, uh, the, the guy to get tattooed by is, is, is McDonald. Actually, I, know what, I, want, I want to point out as well just how excessively difficult it is to research this man and not see Matt quoted. I was When I was doing my research on him, Literally, I think maybe every second or third article had a quote from Matt in it. So you're really coming to the fountainhead here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I haven't published enough of it. And actually, another academic recently, I was on a radio show with her and she started going, well, I've discovered this thing about something. And I was like, oh, dear, I need to publish some of this more quickly. I mean, McDonald's not unknown. I didn't discover him. He's been, you know, he's been known about as this figurehead for a long time. But mm-hmm. what I have done is piece together a lot of his history. As I said, I found a lot of his images. Uh, which were lodged, interestingly enough, in the copyright library um, at the National Archives. Um, and I've traced, you know, as much of his genealogical history as possible. I've traced some of his surviving family to see if I can find any of his stuff. Haven't really been successful yet, uh, sadly. But basically, yeah, I, I mean, as I, 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 I have put more, probably more effort into his story than anyone else's because he's so pivotal, right? Like, in some sense, he's in, he's in the right place at the right time. So, as I said, like, you know, he's he's working in this place where there's people with money who are into, like, the Oriental, um, which includes tattooing, and they've got money to spend. And he learned tattooing. He was also, as I said, a telegraph operator, which means that he understands how to make things go up and down uh, with electromagnetism, because basically that's what a telegraph machine is, and that's also what a tattoo machine is. And he was the first Englishman to have a tattoo machine patent. So he adapted uh, basically a piece of equipment invented by Thomas Edison, an engraving pen, into a tattoo machine. Edison had made this machine to essentially like, you'd, you'd use it to kind of go over a document with a with a uh, essentially an acetate or similar kind of screen. It would perforate it very quickly to create a stencil, and then you could use the stencil with an ink roller. So it was like kind of a late Victorian equivalent of a photocopier, I suppose. But again, okay. all that machine does is make a needle go up and down. And McDonald adapted that for tattooing. And yeah, like he's basically clearly a pretty good artist as well. He could draw. So he's got this, he's got this 
training in the Turkish bath. He's got the tattoo experience. He can make the tattoo machines. He's a pretty good artist. He's in this area of town where there's art galleries. There's people who are buying art, um, the kind of which would become the basis for his tattooing. And he's working at a time when everything kind of Japanese, importantly, is super fashionable. So Japan um, was closed off to the West for a very, very long time, 250 odd years. In the 18, late 1850s, 1858, the Americans showed up and said, hey, trade with us or we'll invade you. Um, the Japanese uh, emperor at the time, the, sh- well, the shogunate basically were like, look, we need to sort this out or we're going to get invaded. Famously documented by the Tom Cruise movie, The Last Samurai. Exactly. That documentary. That's a yeah document. It happened exactly as it did in the movie. Tom Cruise is actually immortal and was in Japan. Yep. And again, that's a story I think we'll tell in more detail on the main podcast. But basically what it means is that everything Japanese becomes super popular and really quickly, actually, all of the kind of curios and all of the kind of ornaments and stuff get bought up by collectors and museums. And so by the time McDonald's starting to tattoo, you can read in guidebooks to Japan for English language travelers like, hey, if you want to get some real Japanese art, like don't buy any of the tourist shit, like, get tattooed. And so people are getting tattooed in Japan, wealthy travellers, and they come back to London and show their mates, and their mates go, where'd you get that done? Japan. Oh, I'm not going anytime soon. Know anyone in the UK that can do it. And I'm s- that's basically how McDonald's starts, because presumably some of those people are going to the Haman baths. They've heard that McDonald's used to tattoo in the army. They ask him to tattoo them. And then we're off to the races, man. Like He's able, really, to be the first tattooer in London where you can, as a stranger, go up, pay money, and get tattooed. And yeah, like I think he's also interesting because he starts to kind of establish an archetype of tattooing, which I think is really important. So at the same time as he's working, there's um, there's also this thing in London called the Royal Aquarium. So the Royal Aquarium was opened, surprise, as an aquarium. Um, it was meant to be this way of like you know edifying the local population. It was going to be this sort of educational space, but very quickly. People realised that fish were boring as fuck. <laughs> Matt is distinctively saying "fuck fish." Fuck fish, yeah. So, so the the people that owned the aquarium started like they got rid of the fish and they started um, they started putting using the using the water tanks to like stage recreations of naval battles. And then they started having like vaudeville shows and kind of sideshow stuff. There was tattooing as part of that because tattooed, tattooed men and women were performing and some tattooers, one of whom, a guy called John Williams, had come from America. So there was tattooing there of a more lower class end. But MacDonald was very specifically talking about himself as an artist, presenting himself in the press, like wearing a suit and a bow tie and as a sort of gentleman and presenting tattooing as this very kind of high end thing. He he was also like pushing the technology. I said not only did he develop the machines, but he also developed coloured inks. So really, sort of before him, really, um, tattooing was basically black or red. Um, the red ink, by the way, was made from cinnabar, mercury. Very bad shit to put in your body. Ironically, I was about to say a press interview with McDonald talking about his development of coloured oh, pigments. Yeah. Him saying that... Oh yeah, mine is safe. The other inks have too much lead in them. Yep, yep. Did you also see the one? I mean, maybe I've cited this before. Like he also um, he was trying to find a good yellow, and every mineral he was using to make a yellow pigment like just 
fucked him up and he ended up having to cut chunks of his own arm out because the yellow never healed. 